Hey there, architecture enthusiast. Nikita Reed here, inviting you on an incredible journey through time and space with my podcast, Tangible Remnants. Historic preservation and sustainability? Let's go ahead right now and debunk the myth that they are opposites. In fact, they are two sides of the same coin, shaping our collective future. In a work environment, it has been challenging because I've had to probably do more than double just to make sure that I quote unquote fit in. But the environments that have allowed me to do me on the front end, I've been extremely successful. You look at all these PhDs, they've built that on the backs of our elders. Absolutely. What they consider themselves to be experts at is what they've worked with us to achieve. I know we have to. We have to prioritize people before products and before place. Join me as we unravel the stories of historic buildings shaped by the people of a specific era and often influenced by race and gender. These tangible remnants are windows into our past and guideposts for the future. Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe now to Tangible Remnants. Let's explore the interconnectedness of architecture, preservation, sustainability, race, and gender. I was going to give her a, a y'all accent, but she's from New York. But she's from New York. <laughs> and I have so no what idea. Do give her a New York accent? I, I don't know a New York accent. Howdy. You're listening to She Builds Podcast, where we share stories about women in the design and construction field, one lady at a time. This season's theme is places we've called home. That means we are sharing the stories of ladies that are from or lived anywhere that we've lived for any period of time and considered a home. Woohoo! Okay, today we're going to learn about Charlotte Marie Baldwin Allen prominent real estate developer known as the mother of Houston. I'm Nerjiri Rivas, (laughs) channeling my inner Wes Anderson in Houston, Texas. (laughs) Whatever that means. I was going to say, what does that mean? Yeah, whatever it means to you. Uh, All right. (laughs) So since we're in Houston, I'm Jessica Rogers thinking about my favorite Houstonian besides Nerjiri. Beyonce knows, and I'm coming to you from Miami, Florida. Hey, everyone. I'm Lizzie Rar, remembering Patrick Swayze and Dirty Dancing, and I'm coming to you from San Francisco. All right. So now it's time for a quick disclaimer. The three of us, we are not historians officially, or at least we didn't get our degrees in that, but we are not even experts of this subject. We are just architecture nerds and we like to learn about stuff um, and we're just sharing stories about what we find. OK, so if we get our facts a little mixed up, forgive us and send us a comment and we will all continue learning. Today, we are talking about a lady from Houston. And if you pay attention to the first 30 seconds of our show, you will know that I am in Houston 
So I've been here eight years since August 2015. No, no, no. Sometime in 2015, January. That's when I got here. January 2015 until the present. And I really love this city. It's grown on me. I don't see myself anywhere else right now. I really enjoy Houston. Yay. So Najiri, how did you even get to Houston though? Because you weren't there right after graduation. That's true. Oh, yeah. Well, I had I was looking for work. Yeah. And my I have family here, an aunt and an uncle. And my aunt told me to come to Houston. There were a lot of jobs here. And I thought, why not? So I came to Houston and in two months I had a job, which was amazing. And I'm still at the same job. So I really like it. (laughs) It's E-Studio Architecture are super supportive of us and this podcast so shout out to them um yeah i really like houston i don't know did i answer your question yes you did yes there you go (laughs) all right y'all let's do this the time was july 14 1805 and that is the time for the first time this season my lady has one birth date so i'm excited about that Yes. <laughs> Accurate information. Woo. The place Baldwinsville, Onondaga County, New York. Charlotte Marie Baldwin was born. Oh, hey. Onondaga County is where Syracuse is. So it sounds like there's two connections happening here. Woo. A lot of our episodes have like multi connections. I'm digging it. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Her parents were Eliza and Jonas Cutler Baldwin. Jonas was a doctor and a prominent citizen. He founded Baldwinsville, where his family lived, and Charlotte was born. Wait, like he founded the town that they live in? He literally did. Like, nah. Whoa. How many people live there? That's a good question, Lizzie. I really don't know. I'll I'll look it up and maybe I'll tell you during the wrap up. Okay, I don't know why, but I'm just like, maybe it was like a real small town, you know, and he was just like, I'm going to build my house here and some other people came. Or was it like, you know what I mean? Like, you know, like it like takes a village, right? So he just made his village (laughs) and incorporated it. You know, I was trying to avoid the waterfalls I like to go in. So I didn't research. Mm -hmm. That's fair. Baldwinsville, but I can. I can let you know what I find. All right. So to not only disappoint Lizzie on this episode, let me disappoint Jessica as well and tell you guys that I could not find information on Charlotte's childhood. So I don't have any details about that. I Um, barely found out what I just told you about her parents. (laughs) Well, actually... I can tell you that the Baldwins had eight children. So Charlotte grew up in a full house. Yeah. Also, apparently when Charlotte was 22 years old, both her parents passed away, leaving Charlotte with a bit of inheritance. 22 is really young to lose both your parents. What a hard break. It really is. Yeah. Sad. Okay, no, Judy, we at least know that in the town of Baldwinsville, there was at least 10 people until Charlotte was 22, (laughs) and then it was two less people. (laughs) So, but you know, no, Judy, you gave us an idea of Charlotte's childhood. We can make a a couple of assumptions. She was one of eight, so she was never alone. Uh, she had an inheritance, so she must have grown up comfortably. Okay. I'm guessing that's a yes. Ladies, do you hear that? What? What is it? What? Who that? It's wedding bells on oh. May 3rd. Oh. <laughs> 
On May 3rd, 1831, she married Augustus Chapman Allen, who was just one year her senior. I could not find any information on their courtship, so I'm going to be positive and guess that they were in love. Let us hope so. Yes, madly in love. All my Houston listeners out there know that this Allen name is everywhere around here. One of my favorite streets, Allen Parkway. Then we got Allen Center, residences at the Allen, Allen Mixed Use Development, Allen's Landing, which is a park. The list goes on and on and on. That's a whole lot of Allen. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I'm guessing there's a connection there. Like the Allens made Houston? Well, okay, you know what? Let, uh, one thing at a time. When did the Allens get from New York to Texas? Mm. Great question. So a year after they got married in 1832, her husband and her brother-in-law, John Kirby Allen, said bye-bye-bye to New York and hello, is it me you're looking for? <laughs> to Texas. <laughs> <laughs> so musical. <laughs> John, you know, I can't help myself. I know, I know. Okay, but her hubby, Augustus Chapman Allen, I looked him up. So he was born on July 4th, 1806 in New York. He started out as a math teacher, but then he quit to get into business and eventually left for Texas to buy land. He and his younger brother founded the city of Houston. Charlotte has a lot of city founders in her life. Like what's up in the water in upstate New York, you know? Yeah, for real. Because as you were researching Augustus, I was researching the younger brother. And Google tells me that Augustus's younger brother, John Kirby Allen, he was a hard worker. He had his first job at seven years old oh. as a bellboy in a hotel. Then he was a clerk in a retail shop at 11. And at 16, he opened up his own hat store in Chittenango, New York, where this is around the time that Augustus was teaching math. Oh. Now, this kid had a lot of jobs and he just he seemed to be following his older brother. Oh. So John and his older brother, Augustus, they would go into business together when they would invest in the company called H&H Canfield um, all the way until they uh, decide to go to Texas. But did Charlotte go with them to Texas? Nah, dude. <laughs> they just oh. left her in New York. Oh, but I'm guessing they went to check the place out first and told her they would holla back at her when they confirmed it was a good idea to go there because at this time texas was still a part of mexico so basically they left the u.s oh and the situation oh. was getting a little dicey let's do a little history lesson mm. so years before the brothers went to check out texas a lot was going on between spain mexico the united states native settlers colonizers to go into it would just derail us entirely just know that around the 1820s the Mexican government encouraged Europeans and the U.S. people to come on over, settle, spend money and be a part of their growing nation. <laughs> Little did they know they would come to totally regret it in a few years 
because oh, a lot of stuff started happening and they were like, oh, snap, we might lose Texas to the U.S. It's like, really, dude? What do you think will happen? But OK, by the time <laughs> Augustus and John were going over there, there was already trouble in the waters. The revolution was in diapers, but it was there. So, yeah, I think it was safest for Charlotte to stay put in New York. OK, mm. yeah, it sounds like that was probably a good idea for her to, you know, wait it out. Let them get the lay of the land. No need to move to a potential war zone yet. Like that's probably not on her list of to do's. <laughs> yeah. As a newlywed, you know? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. As a newlywed and the U.S. still needed to get their ish together. Uh-huh. Oof, what they're going to do. <laughs> Well, yeah, the Allen bros landed in San Agustin, Texas. And once they felt they had assessed the situation, they told Charlotte, come on over, come on over, baby. In 1834, she joined their little adventure and the three of them would settle in Nagadoches, Texas. I think this episode is going to be musical Uh, because (laughs) also... um, also, these names are cool. Nagadocious. Yeah. <laughs> I think that might be all the songs I have for you, but I can't. You but never, you never know. I never know. Yeah. Remember I told you Charlotte had a bit of inheritance? Mm-hmm. Yes. From the information that I found, I believe that she wanted to invest this money. But plot twist. No, she couldn't because we're in the 1830s and there are BS laws in place that say that women can't handle money or they do things like own their own property. So legally, her husband ended up with the money and the power to invest it. Oh, what the quack? Of course he did. I hope he did a good job with it, at least. Like, just want to know it's in good hands. Consulted her? Yeah, you'll see. We'll we'll get there. Ooh. Yeah. Mm. With the money, they started investing in a bunch of land. Okay. Now, there's information out there that says that the Allen brothers started buying land But it was Charlotte's money. So I'm going to say the Allens, meaning Charlotte, Augustus and John, were buying up a storm. Mm -hmm. Her name's Allen. So that's right. There's Mm -hmm. evidence that supports this line of thinking. And if you'd like to check out our show notes and read up on the source material, please go ahead. Mm. Okay, so this makes me this makes it sound better. It sounds like this could have been a couple seasons plus partnerships because you're including a husband and the brother, brother-in-law. Mm, true. There are a lot so, of themes. Interesting. Yeah. A lot of things. Okay. So earlier we said that her hubby and brother-in-law founded Houston. But what I'm hearing is that Charlotte founded Houston. Mm, yeah. Since I'm assuming the land they're buying up will become Houston. I'm like mm. jumping ahead, but... Yeah, but you know they didn't call two plus her two plus four. the mother of Houston over nothing. Well, that's true. Uh, Sometimes I yeah. forget what we said at the beginning. I'm just so caught up in it. <laughs> yeah, we do. <laughs> we get so in the present. When the Texas Revolution officially broke out, Augustus and John didn't join the army. Instead, they offered their lands to house the revolutionary troops and supplies to the army. Oh, okay. So this reminds me of Doris Duke, episode 58. She was the richest little girl in the world, if you remember. But uh, also in the episode, so during World War II, 
you know, obviously she's a woman, so she didn't get drafted, but she donated her yacht and her home, the Shangri-La or whatever that was in Hawaii. She donated it to the troops. Oh, yeah, <laughs> that's true. Well, the revolution came to an end on March 2nd, 1836. The Republic of Texas was born. Did y'all know that Texas was its own country until December 29, 1845, before becoming a state? You know, now that you're saying this, I think I did know this, but I had forgotten for sure. Yeah, this vaguely sounds familiar. Like, I remember thinking that Texas was similar to Hawaii in this sense, like they were both their own countries um, before becoming like a part of the United States. I had no idea before I moved here that this place was its own country for a while. And it took that long because there were political divisions over slavery. What a shame Mm. that that was the big point of contention. But I mean, it was the times. So what can you do? Other than make sure that history does not keep repeating itself. Mm. Hashtag this is America. Yeah. I mean, I don't know the specifics of that part of history, but unfortunately, it's not that surprising. Fun fact, the Republic of Texas first president was Sam Houston. Shout out to John Odom, who taught me that when Texas won, when Texas won its independence, Sam was appointed military commander, and then he was voted president on September 5th, 1836. But we're not there yet. We are in August 1836 when the Allens purchased a half a league of land on Buffalo Bayou for $5,000. Oh, wow. If you're wondering what the heck is a league of land, so was I. Mm. Okay, we're all in the same boat. At the time, land in Texas was measured on the Spanish system of the period because... I mean, it just became its own country. It used to be part of Spain and then part of Mexico. But anyway, the two primary units of distance were a vara and a league. One league is about 6.8 square miles. So we can say that the Allens bought 3.4 square miles of land. That is 2,176 acres. Not shabby. Not shabby at all. Sounds like a good chunk of land to develop on. Yeah, it does. The Allens did not waste any time to start marketing. Four days after the purchase, they started advertising the establishment of a prosperous new city, an idyllic village cooled by the sea breeze called Houston. I gotta say, I'm not sure what sea breeze they were talking about. The sea (laughs) is like a thousand vada and leagues away, but (laughs) it's more like a little wind that is felt when a bunch of mosquitoes fly away from your yummy leg. talking about right (laughs) the wind is when you're rolling you have you're driving and (laughs) you roll down the windows that's the sea breeze of the car because houston i would not i wouldn't wouldn't not i would not call it a sea breeze town port city sure but not a sea town (laughs) yeah i mean i would agree that a sea breeze is a big stretch but it mm-hmm. sounds like they really knew how to advertise. That's what I'm taking That's away true from lie. this. <laughs> <laughs> oh, lie. 
before that. Well, let me tell you how they arrived at the name Houston. This is a good story. Okay. Let me get ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. Charlotte and Augustus's next door neighbor was none other than the future president of Texas, Mr. Sam Houston himself. So one day... Sam Houston is hanging out with the Allens like he does and discussing what they should name the new town that the Allens just bought, you know, as neighbors do. And Sam, knowing what's what, suggested the town be called Charlottesville because Sam knew who the real owner of the town was. That's right. This guy, Sam, coming in with the right answers. Mm -hmm. But Charlotte was like, while I'm real flattered, let's consider that the more famous name in this town is definitely Houston. Sam, you've been doing a lot of things for Texas. I'm a vote for you for president, of course. I think overall that Houston has a nice ring to it and your name will just bring more people here than mine will. So let's call this Houston. And then... Sam was getting a little too full of himself and said, well, maybe we should name it Sam Houston so that people know which Houston we talking about. And Charlotte probably puked a little in her mouth and (laughs) rolled her eyes discreetly and said, bless your heart. Leave the marketing and naming strategies to me. And that's why I live in Houston and not in Charlottesville. All thanks to Charlotte. Also, you know, Charlotte probably couldn't vote until later. Oh, so oh she wouldn't true. have been able to She was going to lobby <laughs> for him. Sad day. Yes. <laughs> lobby, yes. But I mean, she was an Allen, so they lie, like in marketing oh, and dear. stuff. So. <laughs> wow, we are um, starting but bless, Yes, but bless their Don't hearts. Don't at us. As the, I mean, uh, also, no one would have called the town Sam Houston. That's like a lot of words. They would have dropped the Sam part anyway. So Charlotte was smart. Yeah. And Sam, come on. You had the right answers and then you just went a little too far. Like, but I love that it's Charlotte who named the city. Great story. The mother. Amen. Another thing the Allens did to grow Houston's popularity was lobby for Houston to become the capital of the Republic of Texas. In October 1836, John Allen told Congress that the Allens would build with their own money, a.k.a. Charlotte's money, a capital Mm. and any other supplementary civic structure as a donation to the government and that they would also build rental houses for government officials and charge them the low, low price of $70 a month. Dang, I wish my rent was that low. (laughs) Right? Moderate price. Preach. Okay. Yeah, by moderate means. (laughs) Um, This is really cool, though. It actually reminds me of some of our other ladies that essentially had the opportunity to design towns. But this is coming from, like, the benefactor side, which makes it interesting mm-hmm. too mm-hmm. that's like true the business of a city now if you haven't noticed already <laughs> the allens they were real business savvy and they knew that the status of capital had been contested between a few towns washington on the brazos harrisburg galveston velasco and columbia were just a few of the places that had served as temporary capitals so the allens 
also knew there were some people that pooped on Houston being the capital. So they negotiated an exit strategy at the same time that they were lobbying for Houston to be the capital. They proposed that if in the future Houston was not the capital and all the government officials left, the capital building and any government building that they have built would become property of the Allens. Mm -hmm. This proved to be really smart because eventually voters selected Austin as the permanent capital. So that's why Austin's the capital today. But that happened in 1872 mm -hmm. and we're not there yet at all. We are in 1836 and Congress gave the Allens plan the green light. In May 1837, Houston became the capital of Texas. What up? Oh, snap. Okay. I did not realize that Houston was the capital for a hot second. Way to go, Charlotte. Yep. Yeah, that's so awesome. And I'm loving this business strategy. It's so cool. Yeah, I'm, I've been learning a lot with these people, the Allens mm. and Charlotte. Mm -hmm. We learn. Hey, designers and curious minds. Ever wondered about the stories hiding within your building's walls? I'm Carrie Seaburn, structural engineer and host of Unstruct, the podcast that decodes and simplifies major concepts of structural design. Behind the math and physics, structural engineering simply predicts building behavior. Join me as we simplify the complex, making structural design accessible to everyone. Nowadays, instead of measuring it via cost, we're saying, well, what about carbon, you know? We've got two levers now that we can, if, if an architect has an inefficient design, we can hit them with two levers, if you like. <laughs> the official casualty figure is 55,000. Everybody I talked to told me that the actual figure is at least three times as much. And I believe that. I mean, seeing what I saw, Turkish codes are good and, and they have been improving, but compliance was completely lacking. Fluent in steel, concrete, masonry, and timber design, I'll bring you leading engineers to dissect the tales behind their building structure. Whether you're an architect, contractor, engineer, or just love a good story, this podcast is for you. Yeah, beam penetrations, that's a fun topic on this project. Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Unstruct. From within your walls, hear the story behind how your building stands today. Charlotte and her hubby built a house on Prairie Street and Carolina Street in Houston. That's like right downtown. I could go there today, but the, the house is not there anymore. But the streets, they're still there. Mm. One day, cool. Mary Austin Hawley came to visit them and drew the very first sketch of the Capitol building while she was at Charlotte's home. Who is Mary Austin Hawley? She's a lady who was writing about Texas and documenting early settlements in Houston. She was drawing streets, the houses. I'd like to call her a surveyor of sorts. She also happened to be the cousin of Stephen Austin, as in the dude that the city of Austin is named after. Oh, this sounds like competing cities or something. But it's cool that it was a lady <laughs> who was kind of the surveyor of Houston. Yeah, that is really cool. Also, Charlotte is just friends with all these like future namesakes. So true. Right? She connected. 
connected. Houston was blowing up. People were like, I want to go live there. Kind of like right now. So lots of people started settling in Houston because they thought the name sounded bomb diggity, obviously. But the city was still being built and they didn't have the fast building technology that we have today. So sometimes travelers just passing by Houston had a hard time finding lodging or getting their bellies full. So the Allens offered their home for free to anyone that needed a place to stay. This supposedly ended up costing them about $3,000 a year, but the Allens thought that it was an investment in good marketing that would pay off for itself as the city grew and they ended up being totally right. Wow, that's really great that they gave people free places to stay. And like you said, it sounds like it paid off in the end. They were definitely playing the long game. Yes, This reminds me of like kind of like what we see today, like a lot of cities that are like not as popular. They want people to move to them. So they'll like offer incentives. But this seems to me like the homier version of it. It's like, come to our city, stay in our homes if you'd like. But then eventually you'll bring a thriving economy our way. So, yay. Yeah. (laughs) And the Allens weren't only developing Houston. Oh, no, no, no. They owned over 100 leagues of land in the outskirts of Houston. They were shareholders in the Galveston City Company. And John and Augustus were partners of Thomas F. McKinney and Samuel May Williams in the mercantile firm of McKinney Williams and Company. Jeez, these guys are all over the place. No wonder Houston ends up being so freaking big. (laughs) Everything's bigger in Texas since the beginning, it seems. That's right. (laughs) Charlotte and Augustus meant to grow their family. Throughout her life, Charlotte had four children, but only one survived into maturity. Her name was Martha Elizabeth Warner Allen. She was born in Houston on July 18, 1838, and she got married in Houston to F.B. Chase on April 19, 1859. But she became a widow a few months later on November 20th. Oh, I thought that was so sad. This is awful. Years after that, she found love again, married and had a son. So all's well that ends well, I guess. But I still felt pretty sad that her first marriage ended so suddenly. Yeah, a lot of that is very sad. I'm glad at least one of Charlotte's children lived beyond childhood, though. And I'm glad that Martha found love Mm -hmm. again. Very tough going, though. Yeah. Yeah. Also, my first thought was that Martha would have married like the guy, the future of like Chase Bank. Oh, yeah. And I thought like, I'm die if she says that. (laughs) (laughs) It's like mother of, of Houston became the mother of Chase Bank. I don't know. It would be surprising if it was true, though, but like not really because these people just rode in like the right circles. But to your point, Lizzie, it is really sad about Charlotte's other children. Yeah. Well, going back to Charlotte in 1938, sadly, not even a month after her daughter Martha was born, Charlotte's brother-in-law, 
John Allen passed away on August 15, 1838 of congestive fever and he left no will. Oh no. I drama? Oh yeah. Of course. Also, it's sad. Um, but yeah, folks with lots of money, more money, more problems. So there's like countless novelas out there about this. <laughs> Uh, but there's going to be some drama. So let me refill my tea because <laughs> Nojuri's about to spill it. <laughs> you always see it coming, Lizzie. And you always spill it, Jessica. That's right. <laughs> John had no wife, no children. And mm. that meant that mm. his estate was to be shared between his living relatives and even though uh, I've only been talking about Augustus, turns out John had a bunch more brothers. So things were about to get hmm. real tricky. But actually, the brothers decided, you know what? Let's just leave it to mom and dad. And they waived the rights to the shares of the estates, just left it to their parents. Crisis averted. Ooh, that hmm. could have gone a lot of ways. That does sort of seem reasonable, though, if the parents are still living, like take care of your parents. Right. True. True. It's a nice true. sentiment. Crisis subverted. It's a nice sentiment. But also shame on these other siblings. You know, I don't know how involved they were, but if they weren't, that doesn't seem fair to ask for a cut. Also, quick PSA. People, you need to have a will, even if you only have five cents to your name, because state planning needs to be talked about more and we all need to have wills. End of PSA. Oh, thank you, Jessica. Con yes, continue. <laughs> Do you have a will, Jessica? Um, not necessarily, but my 401k, I do have beneficiaries that I oh. also leave. Like I give half to my parents and half to my sister. So I do have that. And I told my parents about it too, just in case, knock on wood, something happens. I'm not leaving it to other people to decide what my <laughs> goodies go to. That's good. Okay. But so, continue. Well, <laughs> crisis averted only for three years because oh. by 1841, the parents were dead. And now the brothers uh. smelled the money and said, paid up, Augustus, it's time. Uh -uh. So now uh -uh. Augustus had to sit down and start dividing the property, figuring out, OK, uh -uh. how much of this belonged uh -uh. to John and then divide that up between all of the brothers. It was a long, legal, tedious process. I spoke too soon. Mm -hmm. This is some whiplash. You got me zigzagging. <laughs> the parents didn't leave a will after that first mini crisis. I mean, come Don't on. They did, they did not learn their lesson. They said, let's just kick this can down the road and let the drama fester a little bit longer. We'll be dead. So who cares? <laughs> ay, ay, ay. Folks, I will say it again. Estate planning. Figure out what your who are your beneficiaries. OK, what a nightmare. Yeah, dude. Maybe they thought they would live forever or maybe they lived <laughs> for the drama but guess what made it worse oh no dimelo like i've been saying this whole episode a lot of the money from all their estate came from charlotte yeah. so really it was hers and at the time not sure why but charlotte was not happy with the way things were being run and she was like i am not gonna let you divide 
all of this among you. Not on, mm-hmm. not going to mm-hmm. happen. That's so right. Mm-hmm. By 1850, Augustus said, okay, I'm out. You think you can do this better? Here you go. And he just straight up left for Mexico. Yeah, just like that. They separated without a divorce and both made a pledge not to disclose what really happened. So that's why I can't tell you what Augustus was doing that Charlotte had to stop because they promised not to gossip and they kept their promise. What? (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Yep. (laughs) I'm I'm like actually speechless and trying to make it all compute in my head. Like he was just like, wait, wait. He was just like, I can't handle this. So you deal with my family and I'm just going to leave. Also, this guy really likes Mexico because he keeps going back there. (laughs) So like my mouth literally dropped and I'm sure Charlotte was just fed up, like you said, witnessing this nonsense. Yeah. And she kept telling Augustus like to do something about it. And he was just being like a weenie about it. And (laughs) yeah, he goes to Mexico for some tacos and margaritas to like forget his problems. He's okay. like, I moved to Mexico. I meant to be in Mexico or something. I don't know. Maybe that could be it. I'm moving back to Mexico. <laughs> I don't want to see you no more. Mo, mo. Uh, yeah, happened. he just got fed up, left. And then the drama with his family just sort of died. I did not find more info on that continuing. They just left Charlotte to do her thing as far as I know. Okay, well, I mean, I'm glad to hear that they decided to give it up after she put her foot down. But it sounds like Augustus could have stuck Mm -hmm. around then. Like he didn't have to leave. Mm -hmm. So the whole thing is super bizarre. (laughs) I'm still sort of in shock. Yeah, well, I bet there's a lot of tea that we will never know. It sounds like Charlotte did not agree with what was going on even before the Allen parents died. Maybe they also did not love each other anymore. We just really will never know because they did not share their story on normal gossip. And so sorry, that's all I got for you today. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no kidding. I do feel like there had to be more if he just up and left like that, right? Uh, But I guess in a way it's nice that they kept it quiet and they weren't bad mouthing each other or anything, especially for their daughter. Mm. Right. But Mm. unless he's doing something secretly shady, you know, that he swore her to secrecy for and she was like left to clean up his mess, then I'm not okay with it. But otherwise, Mm. I appreciate that they're being like civil, civil, you know, I guess. But maybe like you mentioned it, maybe there was some shady business deals because If soap opera has taught us anything, I'm sure that their relationship got complicated between the money, the businesses, the family, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Boy, do I wish Charlotte wrote like a tell all book or like a page six or something (laughs) just like or a Netflix series of like what really went down. But, you know, well, I actually really I really admire their discretion. I'm glad that they stay true to each other's word. Even though their marriage Mm -hmm. and mutual business did not work out, they could still keep enough respect for each other not to air out their dirty laundry. I like that. Yes. I mean, I say yes because she was classy, but my spirit wants to say boo. Mm. I want the drama. (laughs) And like Lizzie said, this guy really liked Mexico. He was like, my intention was to be in Mexico because he lived there for years. This guy apparently had a soft spot for 
this place. He worked various posts as U.S. consul in Mexico. He became friends with the Mexican president, Benito Juarez, and they did stuff together. It was a whole thing. Oh, okay. This guy just feels like he's just making friends with all the high ranking people doing whatever he does. Yeah. Okay. Charlotte and Augustus never made up again. Story over. They both turned the page and never looked back. That we know of. They were good at keeping secrets, so maybe they had some rendezvous that we just don't know about. Oh, uh, okay. I'm telling you, he had a senorita in Mexico and Charlotte was holding it down in H-Town. That's my theory. She was holding it down. She stayed and she managed the family's real estate business, which, you know, was leagues huh. and leagues of property everywhere. It was vast. And she became one of the city's best known citizens Everybody knew who Charlotte was. She basically owned the place. How could they not? Yeah, they did. I love that she became the famous one and that everyone knew that it was her. Yeah. And she like literally owned the town. It was her money building everything. Yes. In 1857, since Houston was no longer the capital, the Capitol building had become the Capitol Hotel. And Charlotte decided to sell the land for $12,000. Today, the land houses the Rice Hotel, which is a really nice hotel. I've been to a few parties there. Oh, fun. Ooh. You've been to one of her properties. Yeah. I love it. Suck it. Okay, so listeners, I will save you the Google search. 12K in 1858 is about $434,000 today. Nice. I feel like that could have been worth more. Yeah. But it's still cool that this building still exists today. Yeah, I bet you it was worth more. Maybe she was philanthropically mm. selling it. Yeah. Uh, because yep. Charlotte had a very civic mentality. Not only was her land once the site of the capital of Texas, after the American Civil War, her home was used as the headquarters for the commanding general of federal government troops in Houston. Eventually, she just started mm. gifting parts of her land to the city. What is known as Market Square today used to be hers. She gave the city the land to build the city hall and market house. I love that she's so philanthropic. Yeah. Yes, I love it. Talk about leaving a legacy. Yeah. Right? That's so cool. In 1890, in celebration of her 85th birthday, the Houston Daily Post newspaper released an article and called her the connecting link between Houston's past and present history. I love that. Cool is that? Yeah. Yes. It's so nice to hear that she was recognized while she was alive. Yeah. Yeah. You know how much we love listening to our ladies getting their flowers while they're alive. And words of affirmation, Amen. you know, just like. Yes. Our love language. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, it's that time of the story. She passed away when she was 90 years old on August 3rd, 1895. She was buried at Glenwood Cemetery in Houston. Charlotte. Charlotte Baldwin Allen Elementary School was named in her honor in 1907. It was the first public school in Houston to be named after a woman. And in 1911, her home was demolished to provide a site for the Gulf Building, which is one of the preeminent Art Deco skyscrapers in the southwestern United States. Oh, I'm kind of sad that her home was demolished, but 
It sounds like they built something really cool there in its place. So I'll take it. Yeah. And her legacy lives on. You know, there are other buildings that still exist today. There's this elementary school. I also feel like, though, having something as innovative of that time, like a skyscraper, I think Charlotte would have wanted that. Mm, That's true. So that's cool. Good point. The Texas State Historical Association built a historical plaque at her gravesite in 2009. Ten years later, in 2019, a Hilton Hotel in downtown Houston was renamed the C. Baldwin Hotel. The Hilton wanted to pay homage to the mother of Houston and also to other pioneering women in Texas history. So they named all Mm. their meeting rooms and premium suites after prominent women in the state. Love this. Cool. Side story. In 2022, my dad was playing a concert in Houston and he stayed there. I only saw the lobby when I picked him up, but it was real fancy. I'm going to have myself (laughs) a solo arc venture. So stay tuned for pictures of me taking as many pictures as possible. The security lets me take in this hotel. Bobby, probably. (laughs) Yes, you have to go and tell us all about it. Let's go. Nice. Yeah. (laughs) Well, with that, now it's time for a karyotid. Lizzie Busy. A karyotid is a stone carving of a woman used as a column or a pillar to support the structure of a Greek or Greek style building. In each episode, we present a karyotid, a woman who's working today, furthering the profession through their work and who ties into the historical woman of our episode. This week's karyotid goes to... (laughs) Mary Beth Fisher! Y'all, Mary Beth Fisher is the Vice President of Business Development and Marketing at Wyckoff Development and Construction. She has years of experience in residential and commercial real estate sales and development. Just like Charlotte, she's not originally from Houston. She was born in Florida and raised in Georgia. Yeah, she graduated with a bachelor's in education from the University of West Georgia. Education. I'm intrigued to hear how she got into real estate and development. Yes. Also, shout out to Florida. Um, But yeah, I wonder if it would be like difficult, like to do the two, like go into real estate from a different degree background. Well, she has a personal story of growth and perseverance. She worked all through high school Mm. and college. She put herself through college, working crazy hours in coffee shops, alumni house. She went to her classes and during any break, she would work. And she did this for five years. She was so dedicated. That must have been so exhausted. In this regard, she reminds me of the young Allen brother, John. Yeah, she sounds really Mm. determined and... She's had a lot of perseverance, just like Charlotte did and our other ladies. Yeah. I mean, I was thinking the same thing. And she also does her work ethic reminds me of the brothers as well. So cool. Later on, she moved with her husband to Louisiana and she began working in real estate. And after Louisiana, they arrived in Houston in 2018. And today she is kicking butt and ticking names in Wyckoff development. In her own words, (laughs) 
Her passion is working with people who help others grow in their career, as well as personal development, building long lasting relationships that help build city of Houston and surrounding areas is her ultimate goal. Yay. This is great. And it sounds like Charlotte trying to build and create the great city of Houston, right? Yes. Wow. Yeah. Oh my gosh. She sounds like such an amazing caryatid and she connects so beautifully with this week's lady. It's nice. It's like, it's like a Charlotte (laughs) 2.0. That's right. And did I mention she has two little kids? She's doing it all. That's right. Before we say see you later, alligators, we want to say thanks to CMYK for the music, John W., our technical producer, and most of all, thanks to all of y'all for listening. We also want to give a special shout out to our resources for this episode. I usually have a few that are my main sources, and then I have some supporting sources. But for this episode, there are quite too many to name. I will mention the Heritage Society of Houston. They have a great video on YouTube that I invite everyone to watch. Check out our show notes for that. Yes. So listeners, remember to check out our show notes for links to all of our resources on this episode, as well as projects that we've talked about. Also on our website is merch because we got merch by a merch. We hope you enjoyed learning about Charlotte and Mary Beth along with our banter and that you are inspired to find out more about them and other amazing professional ladies. Again, thanks, y'all. She Builds Podcast is a member of the Gable Media Podcast Network. Gable Media is curated thought leadership for an audience dedicated to building a better world, similar to Charlotte and Meredith. Now, listen and subscribe to all of the shows at GableMedia.com. That's G-A-B-L Media.com. Please let us know what you thought of our episode. If you've enjoyed it, please help us spread the word. Tell your friends, your business developers, your real estate tycoons, your city founders. Tell them all. Give us five stars on iTunes and Spotify and write us a review. This will all help us reach a wider audience and for more people to learn about these amazing ladies with us. We are excited to hear from you and for you to come back and keep learning about these bosses with us. You can email us your thoughts at shebuildspodcast at gmail.com. Leave us a comment on our website at shebuildspodcast.com or follow us on Instagram and Facebook at shebuildspodcast and on Twitter at shebuildspod. See you soon, raccoons. Bye, y'all. Bye. And I am happy that we're talking about Houston because, you know, it's like I said, my favorite Houstonian besides Nerjuri. We got Beyonce. She's from Houston, H-Town. We got Megan Thee Stallion. She's also from Houston, one of my favorite um, recording artists. You know, Texas rap is pretty cool there. We got, uh, do y'all remember Paul Wall? He was from our early 2000 years. The guy with the grills. But anyway, you know, I also think of like Scarface, not the movie, but the rapper. Um, We got Toby Wigway. You know, he's an up and coming artist that's become very popular. He's from Houston, too. You know, okay, sorry, I'm getting (laughs) off track because I love Houston rap music. I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. 
You got yeah. anything? I'm, I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, we'll buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like, how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that <laughs> then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's it's so real to this day. I, I, I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like us, can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? <laughs> we did it, guys. Oh my the one that God. came out of nowhere. It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success.